Hey everybody, how are we all doing? I'm Michael. I'm here with Alex as always. How's it going? And we're here with another episode of Falling Through Potholes, a podcast about video game plot lines and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Doing all right. How are you doing, Mike? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, for those of you at home, we just spent nearly 30 minutes wondering mm-hmm. what the heck was going on in a completely unrelated game, uh, Destiny 2 to be specific. And now my mind is completely muddled by an incredibly <laughs> extravagant plot line that makes absolutely no sense, which really sets us up perfectly to talk about a plot line that, despite all the craziness goes on in it, including angels, demons, and wars, somehow uh, is going to make far more sense. Mm, fair. Ah, but I'm really, really excited about talking to talk about today's podcast because last time we did one of these, we ended up talking about Star Fox and we sort of remarked at the end about how each series we do ends up ending on a kind of a depressing note with then this series sort of died, the end. Yeah. Well, Alex, I'm happy to report that th- this episode is actually going to end on a high note. That's good. I'm excited. But uh, before we get started, I do want to ask you a question. All right. Alex, are you familiar with the concept of the Zaibatsu? Vaguely. So, Zaibatsus is a term with a couple of different translations, but the most common I found is either wealthy clique or financial clique. It specifically okay. refers to a group of family-owned enterprises in a Japanese empire in the early 20th century, late 19th to early 20th century. So, Zaibatsus... I think most Americans are aware of what they are. They just have no idea how they're structured. And they're similar in corporate structure to many American companies today, uh, in the sense of where you have a parent company that oversees many somewhat independent subsidiaries. Uh, Now, Amazon would be like a good example of this, with the parent company overseeing other subsidiaries, such as Whole Foods, Woot, which I forgot they existed, (laughs) and Audible to create a company that has quite a bit of power and financial success that allows it to enjoy a great deal of political influence as well. And now this is the very important part, is the political influence part. The Zaibatsus were much the same way in the early 20th century, except they wielded not only a ton of political power, but also a ton of military power, uh, even compared to Mm. what some American companies enjoy today. Like, you could look at, like, uh, Boeing, for instance. Boeing has a lot of cachet with the military-industrial complex, right? Right. Like, imagine, though, that if they also, say, own their own newspapers. Ooh, yeah. That's... That's hairy. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what the Zaibatsus were in in the early 20th century. Now, I I kind of got ahead of myself, but there's a couple reasons for this. First, these companies are largely responsible for the miraculous transformation of Japan into an industrial and military powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Because of this, they had enormous influence into economic policy. The second is because they were often the backbone of various political parties. Like, they sometimes just owned them outright. So, mm. I'm about to mispronounce a bunch of names. So, I do apologize to anybody who has any sort of familiarity with the Japanese language. But the uh, one political party, the Riken Misato, or Constitutional Democratic Party, got the majority of its financial backing from the Mitsubishi Zaibatsu. Mm. Whereas the Riken uh, Seiyukai, or the Liberal Party, had members of the, Mis- uh, the Mitsui Zaibatsu as part of its leadership, and it didn't stop there. Uh, going back to Mitsubishi, they had very close ties with the Japanese Army and Navy. Uh, right. bo- both of those, of course, were very strong rivals of each other, and both 
which had increasing influence in the civilian government as well. So they were able to successfully play each other off of them, get military contracts. And when you're, you know, not only providing like military weapons, but also have your own political party there, you can see why this is very hairy for the civilian government of Japan this time. Right, right. So once again, with this, you can see why these Zaibatsus had so much power. They were central to both the civilian and military arms of the government. And in many ways, neither would exist without them. Or at least, they wouldn't exist with the capability of building and maintaining an empire that was so central to the identity of early 20th century Japan. Now, the Zaibatsus as we know them do not exist anymore. A lot of the companies that founded the Zaibatsus still do, like Mitsubishi still exists, Mitsui still exists, but they ended up going out of style in the mid-30s to late-40s. This is because the Japanese military recognized them as a threat and pulled back a large amount of power from them in the 30s and 40s, uh, using a little thing called World War II as a pretext. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. The second is because of good old USA. Yeah. So in the post-war period, they made it a priority to dismantle the Zaibatsu system. Uh, In fact, the largest Zaibatsu, or at least one of the largest, there was was a big four of them, uh, the Yasuda Zaibatsu. One of the big four alongside Mitsubishi, Mitsui, and Sumimoto was straight up dissolved under the order from the Far Eastern Commission. Now, Mitsubishi, Mitsui, and Sumimoto were also on the chopping block. However, they ended up surviving, and this is because the U.S. military priorities quickly changed after the end of the war. Mm. Uh, With the rise of communism in Asia, with the People's Republic of China, the Soviet Union, and North Korea either being or quickly becoming military powers in the region— it was determined that having a strong Japan was desirable. So what formed instead was the the Kiretsu, a more loosely based connection of companies that typically do have a parent company, but is otherwise decentralized and independent from one another. So those are probably more closely analogous to how a lot of American companies are run now, but like even more decentralized. Like Mitsubishi has a lot of um, like, chemical companies that are underneath them, but they technically don't run their day-to-day at all. They essentially just get kickbacks, more or less. Right. So why this history lesson? Japanese media has had a strong fascination with the old Saibatsu, and general Mm -hmm. military fetishism that only seems to be increasing as time goes on. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see this in games like Final Fantasy VII, where Shinra, the electric power company that's in there, is an example of an old-style Saibatsu controlled by a family dynasty. Right, right. I think it's important to know what a Zaibatsu is as we talk about today's topic, which is about the story of the Mishima Zaibatsu at the center yes. of a little franchise called Tekken. Oh, I saw it coming. I'm yep. excited. Yep. So Tekken is a fantastic fighting game series. And unlike Street Fighter, which we talked about, or you know, even other just like non-fighting game franchises like Star Fox, you could argue is actually at the height of its powers right now. Yeah. With the release of Tekken 7, God, was it like four years ago? Five years ago? Five years. Yeah, five or six even. Like, it's it's been around and it's still going strong. Yeah, still going strong. Has a very strong esports scene. People are incredibly hype about that game. It has managed to survive some very low periods in the fighting game industry and in general come out as probably the premier 3D fighting game. Maybe even the premier fighting game, depending on how you feel about Street Fighter or Smash Brothers right now. Yeah, uh, this is a series that started in 1995 in the arcades. Uh, the idea behind it being to make a game, uh, 
published by Namco, I should mention. The idea being to make a game that uh, could be easily ported over to the PlayStation. So it was built around similar architecture. Like, it's not quite arcade perfect on the PlayStation, mm-hmm. but it's shockingly close. And it uses a very novel idea. Its control scheme is basically like you have four face buttons on a controller. What if each button controlled a limb? Mm-hmm. This works out surprisingly well. Yeah. Alex, have you ever played like any of the original like Tekken games, either arcade or PlayStation? None of the original ones. Um, mm. The only ones I've really played are seven and I want to say like four or five. Mm, interesting. So you you really only got into the series later on yeah. in, in his day. Interesting. I played a decent amount of Tekken 2. I went back and played Tekken 1, which I think is kind of a bad game. Probably. Most, most fighting game early entries are. Yeah. And then I played a lot of Tekken 3 and was like, this game is... This game is fantastic. Oh my god, mm-hmm. it's so good. It's so good. And for a long time, it, I mean, it was like the high watermark for the franchise. Right. Yeah, so this is a game that, when it came out, it really didn't compete against Street Fighter or whatnot. It was kind of part of its own separate genre of 3D fighters. It really competed more with, like, Sega's Virtua Fighter. Right. Uh, more so than anything else. And while I, I probably still like Virtua Fighter a little bit more, mm-hmm. I, I have to say, you know, between 3 and 7... It, it pretty much goes toe-to-toe with it. And given that they're never going to make another Virtual Fighter ever right. again. Yeah, I was going to say, at least Tekken still has support from its creators. Exactly. So the actual development of Tekken doesn't really factor into the story of Tekken all that much. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. At least not until we get to, like, Tekken 6 and 7. Uh-huh. Uh, there are some definite things with Tekken 7 that are going to factor in pretty <laughs> mightily with it, uh, with the actual story of it. but. For the most part, uh, Tekken's development has been relatively, uh, let's say, undramatic. <laughs> okay. Uh, generally, they are pretty good about putting out games, and unless unless those games are called Tekken versus Street Fighter, in which case, uh, yeah, Ugh. you know. <laughs> yeah, there was a thing happened. Yeah. That thing was Capcom. That thing was indeed Capcom. Oh God. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, so for the most part, it. Really, the big thing about this that we're going to be talking about is just how these stories end up starting out. They start out with their pedal to the floor. <laughs> yeah. And then they drive it through the wall and off a cliff <laughs> into a volcano, just straight up. Pretty much. By the way, hope you enjoy volcanoes. We're going to be talking about those Yeah, there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of volcanoes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, before we... So, just to kind of go over also the games we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about Tekken 1 through 7. Uh, we're not going to be talking about the Tekken Tag series because those are actually non-canonical, sort of King of Fighters-esque. We just bring in all the characters, mm-hmm. no matter if they are technically supposed to be dead. <laughs> um, we're also not going to be talking about them because I kind of hate the Tekken Tag games. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think they're bad tag games. I, I think they have a very interesting mechanic that we're not going to get into, but right, not great games. But yeah, fair enough. Um, and we're also not going to be talking about the spinoff, or at least I don't plan on to. We'll see what happens next week <laughs> uh, if I need to fill some time. Uh, we're not going to be talking about the Tekken spinoff, Death by Degrees. Oh, God. I forgot that game was real. That game was real, and it may be one of the worst games released for the PlayStation 2. Which is an incredible competition. Oh, it really is. Uh, Tekken... 
Death by Degrees, by the way, of, is a game starring Nina Williams. One of the, I think, only four characters who actually appears in every Tekken game. Mm. Uh, and it's like kind of like a weird like 3D brawler sort of thing. I, yeah, it's like a character action game almost. Yeah, and it's notable for barely having anything to do with Tekken. <laughs> so we're yeah. not going to talk about it. But yeah, so we're going to just be talking about Tekken 1 through 7. And today, idea would be to get through, uh, get through most of the early half of this series. Okay. So with that, let's jump into the plot of Tekken. So Tekken takes place in the modern day and centers mostly around the struggles of the Mishima family and the various bits of mischief they get up to. <laughs> this includes throwing their children into volcanoes, adopting Chinese orphans as a joke, <laughs> gene splicing evil gods, and just many other things. Which props to their geneticists for figuring out gods have genes. Yeah, right? That's, that's it, pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. And the crazy thing is they do it multiple times. Yeah. All the things I mentioned above happens multiple times throughout the series. All these schemes and double dealing this family engages in is usually over the control of the Mishima Zaibatsu, a Japanese company so powerful that it can start and end wars, sell seemingly anything to everyone, and can even train and equip its own paramilitary force with a very dumb name that I will tell you about later. <laughs> The latter is easy for them to do since the Mishima Zaibatsu is the foremost supplier of military arms in the world. From guns to literal android soldiers, if it can kill you, the Mishima Zaibatsu probably has a hand in it. Now, while this is a fighting game and there are many different characters, it really centers around two characters at the beginning. The family patriarch, Hihachi Mishima, and his son, Kazuya Mishima. They have what could be considered a fraught relationship. <laughs> you might now, say. Alex, I'm, I'm going to kind of like go over these next details. I want you to tell me if this is a mark of a good dad. Yeah, yeah, please. So um, to start with, uh, Kazuya blames his father for killing his mother, which is unequivocally true. <laughs> mm. mm -hmm. And at the age of five, uh, Kazuya... A tiny little boy fought his father on a mountaintop, and Heihachi, being a great dad, beat the hell out of his son, knocking him mm -hmm. unconscious, and then threw, threw him off a cliff into a ravine to see if he had survived. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Seems like good parenting. You know, there's some things he could probably work on. A uh, little room for improvement, I would say, but, you know, it's, it's a start. He is in his son's life. Yeah. As short as it might be. Teaching him how to fight? Well, teaching him what fighting feels like, if nothing else. Yeah, very important. It's very important to know how to take a punch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or several, or many. Oh, God. Um, the start of Tekken 7 literally starts with you playing as five-year-old Kazuya, and you have to fight Hihachi. And it's basically just him there taking your punches, and then he just kicks you in the face over and over. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. All right. Now, what if I told you, though, that Heihachi had a very bad reason for this? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, I don't think. It's not going to come up here. It's not going to come up in today's episode, but put a pin on that. Heihachi had a reason for throwing his child into a ravine. Okay. So, with this, Kazuya is initially presumed dead. But he is able to slowly climb up back out of the ravine, because it turns out the fall had unlocked something dark in him. Something that Heihachi feared greatly. It activated the devil gene. <laughs> yeah, I 
love it. I love it so much. Right? So the devil gene is literally a gene that can be inherited genetically that has both devastating and wondrous consequences for its bearer. Now, unlike the broken genes, which if a person possesses means they're more likely to get breast cancer, people who <laughs> possess the devil gene are subjected to a parasitic relationship with the actual probably devil. Hmm. All right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and this is right at the start. This is not something established in later games. This is Tekken 1 straight up telling you this. You could play as a devil in this game. <laughs> yeah. Freaking Metal Gear Eat Your Heart Out with your memes. Pretty much. This gene communicates with the devil directly. Yep, 100%. You have this gene, you can, you can be part of the devil. Rad. So those with the gene can tap into the devil's power to transform into a demon and gain said tremendous power at the cost of being possessed by the devil, which is a slight downside. Yeah, you know, it happens. Yeah, as we're going to see, Kazuya pretty okay with this yeah he doesn't let it bother him too much i should point out these are our two main characters they're both bad people yes yeah and that's <laughs> that's one thing i really love about tekken even the one character who's actually going to be a good guy which it's going to take a couple games before we meet him he's still also kind of a bad guy <laughs> yeah yeah most of these people are just complete assholes mm -hmm. that just happen to want to kill each other more than like decent people yeah pretty much and i love it i love it so much so the point of all of this is that something is unleashed inside kazuya that in combination with his father being terrible makes him want to get revenge very badly huh funny that yeah so in the meantime, over the next 20 years or so, Hihachi takes control of the Mishima Zaibatsu and builds it into the organization it is that we've described earlier. So I just want to point out, and I'm sure we'll come back to this when we get to Hihachi's retcon reason, but I like that he beat the hell out of his son and then threw him into a ravine to see mm -hmm. if he survived, and then just immediately said, oh no, he didn't survive, I guess I'll leave. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. He, like, you didn't go check on that? You didn't verify the results of that? Nope, did not at all. Which, granted, reoccurring theme of this family. Yeah, fair. Just toss people off a, off a cliff, walk away, hope for the best. Yep, gravity probably solved that problem. Gravity is a harsh mistress, and Hihachi knows it. It's true. <laughs> so, Mishima Zaibatsu becomes powerful as all hell. With this, he becomes one of, if not the most important person in the world. For said world, this seems like a good thing. As outwardly, Hihachi is a man who is generous, kind, loves his family. And <laughs> his very dead family. His very dead family. And only wants to build weapons to protect the world. In reality, he's building his own private army with the aspirations of ruling the world with an iron fist. Which, hey, speaking of, he decides, yeah. he, he decides he needs to rec recruit the most powerful fighters in the world. In order to find out who those are, he sponsors the first ever King of the Iron Fist Tournament. I really, really wish that ever in the last, like, 300 years, we had had someone decide, I need to recruit the most powerful warriors in the world. I'm going to do that with a martial arts tournament. Right? Yeah, like... You hear about, like, knights in antiquity, like, you know, having jousting competitions to determine yeah. who should be part of, like, the inner circle and whatnot. Yeah. But, but yeah, that, ever since then, though, you don't hear about, like, 
I just want to have a bunch of like real cool punch men just to surround me. Yeah, like everything these days is like, oh, you know, recruit recruit teenagers for the military, have them go through training, and then the ones who excel will rise through the ranks and become commissioned officers. No, just yeah. pick people up off the streets and have them punch each other and see who's the best at it. Yeah, like George H.W. Bush didn't recruit Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, and George yeah. Foreman, and then drop them into Iraq to just do their thing. Why not? Exactly. Why not? They could have punched the opportunity. Could have punched those tanks apart. Ah, oh, man. Yeah, it's it's sad that doesn't happen, but thankfully in this world it does. And in fact, yeah. it happens in every game. There's a King of Iron Fist <laughs> tournament in every game, which I think every other fighting game series that has like a tournament aspect to it doesn't always have a tournament in those games yeah a lot of them sort of give up on the tournament eventually yeah not tekken <laughs> now sometimes we'll give up on the tournament midway through the game right sure but you know they at least announce it at some point so if you win this tournament you not only get a ton of money you also get to have the pleasure of fighting Hihachi himself also uh the opening rounds are apparently fought under deathmatch rules ah yeah, so you also just got to casually murder your opponents. That that seems kind of suspect, but all right. Yeah, and you figure that uh, governments of the world be like, hey, wait, hold on. <laughs> but hey, it's Heihachi, you know? Everyone loves him. He has a pet bear who's also yeah. a martial artist. Yeah. We're barely going to talk about Kuma, but right. Heihachi's only friend is a giant uh, brown bear who knows karate. <laughs> just to let you all know. So He's this a good bear. He's a good bear. Oh, God, I love Kuma so much. Kuma's so great. So this attracts a ton of great fighters, some wanting that sweet, sweet money. But however, it attracts one person who wants nothing more to fight Hihachi, Kazuya, who's now 26 years old and is pleased to have the opportunity to get his revenge. Now, Kazuya is not the only fighter here. Seven other fighters are also present vying for the prize money. We're not going to go over each of these fighters, but I do want to point out some highlights. Uh, there's Jack, who's a Russian android created by the... Russian government to stop the Mishima Zaibatsu. Uh, each game has a different Jack, by the way, and they're mm. numbered Jack 1 through 7. Uh, eventually, they're going to start sharing the same personality, but that's that's for later. All right. There's Nina Williams, which we kind of mentioned earlier, a femme fatale mm -hmm. spy who may be most notable for having her own terrible spinoff game. <laughs> Once again, a literal bear. A demon ninja samurai who's actually a really good guy in Yoshimitsu. Yeah. Like... He looks like a complete demon. You feel like this guy's a bad guy, but no, he actually just believes in justice. And then he, there's, he really does. He really sincerely does. And then there's Paul Phoenix and Martial Law, who we're not going to talk about right now, but let me fucking assure you, we will. <laughs> <laughs> because they have the most depressing friendship I've ever heard. <laughs> now, long story short, Kazuya wipes the floor of these fighters and reaches Heihachi who's both proud, surprised, and angry that his son is standing before him. <laughs> I'm, I'm reminded of the Dragon Ball abridged clip. Huh, this is a weird feeling. Pride in someone else. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's overshadowed by all this blinding rage. Uh, Kazuya has some very strong Vegeta energy. Not, but Kazuya actually does have very strong Vegeta energy. He does, um, yes. I, I was meant to, say, meant to say Heihachi, but no, no, definitely Kazuya. It's really a whole family of Vegetas. It really is. It's, oh my the god. The Vegetas are basically just Saiyans. They really are. <laughs> they even straight up have magic powers. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> so Kazuya and Hahachi fight, and Kazuya just wipes the floor of Hihachi. And mind you, they're fighting on the same cliff that Kazuya was thrown off of when he was five. Right. So in one of what may be one of the most awful pre-rendered cutscenes to oh, ever so exist. Oh, it's so bad. Kazuya picks up Hihachi's limp body, throws him off the cliff, turns to the camera and gives a real goofy smile. <laughs> and then Kazuya takes Hihachi's place as the leader of the Mishima Zaibatsu. And that's Tekken. Yay. Yeah. You know, pretty solid foundation. Um, I-, I should mention, we're not going to be talking about a lot of these endings because all of these endings are essentially jokes. But right. I really implore you to look at the-, the endings from like Tekken 1 through at least 4. Mm-hmm. Because each character ending is just the most ridiculous thing that you ever see. <laughs> Everything from Hihachi conning a bear into signing over all that he owns. <laughs> Which shouldn't be very much. It shouldn't be very much, but somehow he ends up... Oh, because he wins the tournament, so he wins control of the Mishima Zaibatsu. So <laughs> Hihachi has to trick him into getting it all back. <laughs> to Paul and Phoenix's... Uh, not, not, uh, Paul and Marshall's, like... Horrific adventures together in maiming each other. <laughs> I, I just highly recommend it. They're all about like 30 seconds long. And they're all the worst pre-rendered cutscenes. They're just so great. They're so yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <sighs> God. I do want to mention I really love Heihachi. He for is, two reasons. He may be my favorite fighting game character. One, he's such an asshole. Mm-hmm. He's so evil, just unremittingly, just awful and villainous. But despite that, like, the great thing about his relationship with Kazuya is like, oh, Kazuya has the devil gene. He's inhabited by the devil and has the devil's power. Hihachi, as far as I know, does not have the devil gene. No, he does or not. Or doesn't use it. He's just an old man who punches real good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it turns out he has an electric fist. Why? Don't know. He just does. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. He's just that good at punching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. He's he's so un- unrepentantly evil, but he's also so goofy about it. Yeah. Like, he's just constantly doing just the goofiest, dumbest shit throughout these the series. And, like, he and- also wears, like, most, like, flamboyant stuff you could possibly mm-hmm. imagine. Like... There's this one scene where he's hanging out in a submarine and he's like wearing like a suit in like an all white suit with a pea coat and the pea coat is tiger striped. <laughs> and it's like, why are you wearing this? Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's, it's so good. And again, like he's not possessed by chaos energy or the devil or anything. He's just a bad person who's also good at punching really hard. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. He's just, he's trained his entire life to be evil and good at punching things. And boy, he's He's... 110% about both of those. Yep. Ah, man. Heihachi should have been in Smash. Yeah, he should have been. It should have been Heihachi. God. Yeah, but it was Kazuya. It's like, like, God, whatever. Put Harada's favorite character in there. (laughs) So, speaking of Heihachi, Heihachi's actually the main character of Tekken 2. Which is very great. Yeah. So taking place two years after the events of Tekken, Tekken 2 sees, has a see the Mishima Zaibatsu flourish under the direction of Kazuya. However, unlike his father, Kazuya is a much more mysterious figure, ruling from the shadows as he takes the Zaibatsu in a more sinister direction. 
he basically builds it to be a nation unto itself. In, <laughs> in fact, he literally seizes all the island of Hokkaido, like from Japan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, like he he like buys most of it, but still, he he literally rules all of Hokkaido. Okay, sure. I, that's that's a decision you can right? make. Yeah. It never really, I don't think it ever really comes up again after this game, but <laughs> he does. So he does all this, and he, like, he does like other shady things, but then he gets, I guess he just gets kind of bored and decides to hold yeah. a second King of the Iron Fist tournament? Okay, yeah, that's fair. I mean, when you can be willingly possessed by the devil for great power, it's like, oh, nefarious business negotiations, military might accumulation, who cares? Yeah, right? Sometimes you just get bored, you want to see people punch each other. And, you know, he's going to do it. Yep. And he's going to offer a prize a thousand times as much as the prize in the original tournament. Oh, my God. Which I'm guessing is a... If it was a million dollars, I guess it means it's a billion dollars. So I guess cool. so. So because of this, fighters from all over the world join this tournament. One particular combatant is Heihachi, who himself survived being thrown to a ravine. Hmm. Funny. Yeah. How that works. <laughs> Taking his time to recover and meditate... He now feels strong enough to enter the tournament and fight for the right to win back his company. However, perhaps the most consequential fighter to enter this is a woman by the name of Jun Kazama. So, Yun, uh, I believe is actually how it's pronounced. My apologies. Yun mm. Kazama. Yun uh, only appears in this one game, uh, if you don't count you know, the Tekken Tag games. Right. But she's going to make a pretty big impact by the end of it. <laughs> So, Yun is a woman from the island of Yakushima, which is a real place that's just off the uh, coast of Kyushu, Japan. Okay. Of Kyushu. I always mispronounce that. Um, home to a nature preserve, she eventually becomes a wildlife officer, and judging from her ending, is basically a Japanese Disney princess? Because mm. all the animals love her. Like, they land <laughs> on her shoulders, like, she rides a horse side saddle, but right. not barely like hold on to it and like there are rainbows around her and everything she is made to be a very saintly figure right so her love of animals brings her into direct conflict with the mishima zaibatsu as is rumored they've been experimenting on animals this turns out to be true as kazuya mm. is authorized a program to give kangaroos drugs and teach them how to box you know for military use sure <laughs> This results in a fighter actually by the name of Roger. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> he also revives dinosaurs and also makes them a boxer for some reason. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm starting to think that being repeatedly possessed by the devil might make you a little unstable. <laughs> what, you don't think that the boxing kangaroos would be a good military weapon? I'm not, I'm not sure of their efficacy, to be perfectly, <laughs> completely honest. Okay, but what if the kangaroo was really smart? Oh, that might that might make a lot of difference. <laughs> what if he had a scientist who could jump over a six foot fence? I'm just saying. Yeah, just freaking. Oh, uh, Roger is so great because, like the other animals in the series, eventually he gets old and is replaced by a younger version of him. That's literally just him, but the same name. Right. Although he does actually like survive and like ends up having a loving family and eventually like wears a tie and has like glasses. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's pretty great. Shows up in Tekken Tag 2, just like, oh man, he's still boxing, but he now has, like, good dad glasses <laughs> and a tie. It's like, ah, uh, 
<laughs> I love the characters in this game so much because, like, the characters around the core are, like, so... Well, besides the Mishima family, are so right. normal. Mm-hmm. And then they go, like, well, what about the bonus characters? Oh, what do you want? How about... um Androids, a dinosaur, a couple of a couple of incredibly strange little girls, and kangaroos and bears. Yeah, yeah perfect. <laughs> How about a fighting combat robot that looks like a car? <laughs> and then again, like uh Heihachi just like looks over at those freaks and is like, yeah, okay, whatever. Anyway, evil stuff. <laughs> it's like Boy, I need to pay attention to my company a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Jun is not happy about all this. So she enters a tournament, finds Kazuya, and they instantly fall in love. Because it turns out that Jun has the ability to detect evil. And realizes that Kazuya contains a literal demon inside of him. So she spends her time with him trying to purge him of said demon to no avail. Because once again, Kazuya is down with the devil. Right. So... And another partial reason is because Heihachi wins the tournament and faces off against Kazuya. And he's like, I can't even need the devil to deal with this dude. So unfortunately for Kazuya, he's no match for a revitalized and motivated Heihachi. He- so Heihachi just beats him absolutely unconscious. And in order Wait, to... Wait, what, what changed? Um, what changed is he became the protagonist. Ah, uh, right. <laughs> he got protagonist powers. Fair. I don't know, maybe... You know, Kazuya got a little bit lazy. He's now at the old age of 28. Oh, yeah. You know, he's over the hill. Exactly. Actually, you know what? Credit... Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but credit okay. to Tekken. They're actually pretty okay of old people beating the hell out of younger people. They um, are, yeah. In fact, I would say they embrace it. So he knocks uh, Kazuya unconscious, and he's like, I need to get rid of this dude. So he gets in a helicopter, takes his body to an active volcano... <laughs> throws it in, and then flies away while hanging off the side of the helicopter as the volcano erupts. Has no one heard about decapitations in this game, or cremation, or just... I mean, very extreme form of cremation happened there, I would say. I suppose. <laughs> Let me rephrase it. Verifiable cremation. Yeah. Heihachi's a very extra person. <laughs> True. That's fair. <laughs> And he's going to only get more extra as time goes on. <laughs> so, so with this, he becomes the master of Mishima Zaibatsu once more. And Kazuya is dead. Unfortunately, though, this unleashes the devil inside of him. So the devil needs somebody who possesses the devil gene in order to live. So he needs to right. find a body to possess. Good news for him. Jun is now pregnant with Kazuya's child. So she decides to go back to Yakushima Island and gives birth to Jin, Kazuya's son and the new inheritor of the devil gene. This is very convenient for the devil, who needs a new body. Right. So Jun encounters him and manages to fight him off. However, 15 years later, the devil would eventually inhabit the body of Jin regardless. Hmm. And this is mostly due to the antagonist of Tekken 3. So Tekken 3... A.K.A. the one that everybody remembers incredibly fondly. Right. And also probably the start of this getting really, really strange. <laughs> um, probably my favorite Tekken as well. Takes the interesting step of having a significant time skip. Mm. It takes place 16 years after the events of Tekken 2. Now, when people think about uh, Heihachi, they always think about how he has like gray hair that like just jets out. From right. like the sides and whatnot, and like just like an old, like this badass old man. 
Right. He wasn't that in Tekken 1 and 2. Like, he was right. relatively young-ish. I mean, 40s, but, you know, young-ish. Right. Now he's in his 60s. He can still beat the hell out of anybody. Yeah. Now he's the cool old dude. Yeah, and, that, and God, I love how he looks so much. Yeah, I love it. It's it's great when a glow-up is literally just getting older. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? This is also the part when he stops wearing, like, traditional karate geese and just, like, I'm just going to be wearing just the most fantastic yep. suits. Yeah. Fur coats all the time, baby. Time to be the old Japanese businessman. Mm-hmm. Ugh, just the hottest pimp looks from him. So, oh, so good. So life has been continuing on as normal. Although Jin has been growing up secluded away on this island. However, one day... He's attacked by a green-skinned Aztec warrior who nearly beats Jin to death. <laughs> and does beat Jun to death. Oh. At this that... point... Yeah, right? Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Jun just dies an off-screen death. Uh, this later gets retconned to she disappears. Oh, right. But given her spirit is going to show up multiple times after this, she's pretty dead. Uh, until they need her to not be, so, you know. Yeah. My money's on Tekken 8. Yeah, probably. At this point, my understanding is that Jun reveals to Jin his relationship to the Mishima dynasty. And he goes out to seek out Heihachi to you know, learn the ways of the warrior and get revenge. So this is also the time that, now that Jun's away, he gets possessed by the devil. Okay, fair. So Jin finds Heihachi, who's more than happy to train his grandson, and is super pleased he exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> During this time, Heihachi himself has gotten up to some wild stuff. His pet bear, for instance, Kuma, died, so he's raised his son and taught him martial arts. He found what's a child. What's that bear's name? Also Kuma. Neat. That bear, by the way, is going to start a rivalry with Paul Phoenix. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. It's also, for the record, for those of you who don't know, uh, Kuma is Japanese for bear. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Heihachi was too lazy to actually name his bear friend. Either time. <laughs> Either time. Speaking of um, his bear friend, though, his bear friend's about to get a girlfriend by the name of Panda. Oh, because what's he, her deal? Her deal is that she is friends with a Chinese girl that Heihachi found snuck, like, snuck onto like one of his cargo ships and beat up his men. So he more or less adopted her as a joke. Yeah, that makes sense. That seems like what he would do. Mm -hmm. By the way, this isn't the first time he did this. He adopted another Chinese person, Li Chao Lin, back in Tekken 1, specifically to annoy Kazuya. <laughs> <laughs> He's just adopting random Japanese, or not Japanese, Chinese orphans, just because. <laughs> uh, so to annoy Kazuya before killing him? Yeah, pretty much. He's like, okay. hey, this guy could be actually be the true hair. Maybe you should get on your game, you yeah. little four-year-old shit. <laughs> <laughs> Time to throw you off a mountain. <laughs> oh, by the way, he also created a private special forces union unit called... Uh, do you want to guess the name of this unit, by the way? Is it like Fist? Oh, no, it's, it's much dumber. It's the Tekken Force. Oh, God. Yeah. His sole purpose was to settle conflicts and take care of his enemies. Uh, this last detail sort of backfired on him, though, because mm -hmm. they went on a mission in Mexico where they accidentally unleashed an ancient evil that killed most of them. Oh, okay. Or at least, for most people, this would be a bad thing. For Heihachi, though, 
this was an exciting opportunity. Because he correctly guessed this was likely Ogre, an ancient evil that he wanted to capture and extract his essence to create the ultimate life form. <laughs> okay. Now, how Heihachi knew about this ancient Aztec god, I'm not really sure. But he did. <laughs> yeah, fair. You know. So, Ogre's the same person who killed Jun, by the way. Okay. So, when Heihachi, like, has Jin show up at his doorstep, he's like, oh yeah, no, I'll definitely train you to beat up Ogre, because I need mm -hmm. him. <laughs> Fair. So Ogre's entire deal is that he seeks out strong fighters in order to absorb their key, and because of this, in order to lure him out, Heihachi naturally holds the third King of the Iron Fist tournament. Wait, is Nikali just Ogre? Yeah, kinda. Oh. Yeah, he he basically is Ogre. That hmm. All right. I mean, it would not be the first time that Tekken and Street Fighter shared some things between them. Yeah, that's true. So. Jin naturally enters, wanting to get revenge for his mother's death. So Jin is kind of like the main character of this game. He makes up like the third, the third uh, tier of uh, protagonist in here. He's also mm -hmm. the one person who's actually a good guy, okay. and rather consistently a good guy throughout this entire series. So naturally, a bunch of powerful fighters enter. Uh, these include Harang, or I think that's Harang. I have no idea how to pronounce his name. <sighs> oh, and, no. Oh, no. It's it's the endless debate. Yeah. Nobody knows how to pronounce his name, but he's an orange hair street punk and gambler who's uh, Jin's rival. Um, He barely does anything of note during the games, unfortunately. Mm, yeah. Forest Law, who is Martial Law's son, and Gon, a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Gon's kind of a joke character. He's from a manga and um, Namco video game series that... uh. Actually has a very interesting twist on it where Gon's technically invincible in the game, but if he takes too many hits, he gets angry and destroys the world, and that's how you get a game over. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I actually like, I like it. That. Yeah. Gon is very stupid. Uh <laughs> but I love him. Most importantly though, Paul Phoenix enters this tournament as well. Oh boy. And I think it's time we take a little tangent and we talk yeah, about Paul let's, Phoenix. Let's do that. And his poor best friend, Martial Law. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Marshall, you're going to feel real sorry about this guy by the end of this. So, Paul is an American street tough with incredibly tall blonde hair that only seems to be getting taller as each game goes on. Yeah, it's going to need its own hitbox soon. It really will. Um, I think it's like an unlockable hat in either Tekken 6 or 7 that literally is just <laughs> Paul's hair. And you can put it on Paul and his hair gets taller or something like that. There's something silly you can do about his that hair to make sense. it even bigger. So, he has the honor of being one of only four characters to appear in every Tekken game. Uh, it's him, Heihachi, Nina, and Yoshimitsu. Right. By the way, uh, which is <laughs> kind of interesting. He's a, he's a fan favorite character. He's like probably, if Heihachi's not the most popular right. character, he is. Uh, so, so sporting blonde hair and uh, straight up looks like a character from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure because he is based upon a character from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Oh. He has um, the honor of being this series reference to the character of Jean-Pierre Polarneff from the manga JoJo's Bizarre Adventure uh, Part 3, Stardust Crusaders. Uh, Polarneff uh, has influenced basically a character in every fighting game series. Everything from <laughs> Guile to Street, in Street Fighter to Benimaru in King of Fighters. Okay, yeah. He's just an incredibly popular character. So much like Polarneff, he is kind of a joke. He's actually initially set up as being Kazuya's rival in the first game, 
But eventually they just drop that and <laughs> give him a literal barrel's arrival into the form of Kuma and then his son Kuma too. And uh, he goes on to do basically weird things such as believing in aliens and challenging aliens to a fist fight. <laughs> which is a very American thing to do, really. It sure is. Oh, man. But he's perhaps best known for being the worst possible friend to martial law. <laughs> so Marshall is basically Bruce Lee, except not famous. Mm. Like he fights in Jeet Kune Do style. He looks literally just like Bruce Lee. Right. And he has two wants in life. He wants to own a dojo and to own a restaurant. He is also best friends with Paul Phoenix. So I'm sure this will all end well. Yeah. So he actually does succeed in this. And he ends up having a kid named Forrest, uh, who wants to become a great fighter like his dad. Uh, Forrest Law, by the way, is also best friends with Paul Phoenix and looks just like Marshall. <laughs> in fact, in order to differentiate the two, they just give um, Marshall a very bad beard. Mm. And they just go, they just went, ah, there we go. We're not even going to yeah. make him look older. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul has an extra excellent idea of entering him in the third tournament marshall's displeasure he's like i don't really want this but mm -hmm. like paul's like ah whatever it'll be fine later he lets force joyride on his motorcycle causing him to get in an accident that horrifically injures him this actually forces marshall to enter the fifth tournament in order to get the money to pay his medical bills and also causes all of his businesses to go bankrupt <laughs> <laughs> oh boy later because the bike was totaled Paul will bill him $34,000 for bike repairs since it was his son who wrecked it. What the f <laughs> Yeah. Paul is his best friend, by the way. He's I a... see. <laughs> yeah. Mm. They just get up to all sorts of, like, really stupid adventures like that. And it usually involves Paul making his life horrible. <laughs> so mm. I bring this all up because Paul Phoenix enters the third tournament and actually wins the entire damn thing. Huh. He, yeah, he encounters Ogre and just absolutely beats his ass. <laughs> and he, he even thinks he kills him. Like he, like, he celebrates his victory and then leaves. Turns out, though, Ogre's not dead. So Heihachi had faced him earlier and lost, and he absorbed Heihachi's key in the meantime. Using this, he transforms into true Ogre, a giant vampire bat-looking creature that, like, can breathe fire and, like, is intent on destroying everything. Mm-hmm. So Jin thankfully arrives just in time to defeat him using the power of the devil gene. He like transforms into the devil, kills him, and saves the world from his rampage, as well as getting his revenge. So Heihachi awakens from all of this and is super pleased. Jin has helped him get over his body and proven he's a powerful warrior. He's also proven he's a threat. <laughs> God. I love him so much. Right? So he has to take a force gun him down. <laughs> Oh, it's oh, I love him so much. It's like, yes, everything is gone according to plan. You surpassed <laughs> my wildest expectations. Well, time to kill you. Yep. You're a threat. I can't have you around. I remember what happened last time. Yep. I don't, I don't know really why my son decided he wanted to try to murder me, but I uh, got to make sure you don't. Yep. Got to got to just nip that one in the bud. Mhm. Mm don't see this backy, you know, backfiring on me at all. Now, you mentioned earlier about how Heihachi has this real thing about not making sure people are dead. Yeah. You'll be happy to know that Heihachi decides to make sure this time. Okay, fair. Because he grabs a handgun and just shoots him in the head. Okay, yeah, that usually does it. Usually does it. Unless you're possessed by the devil. Unless that, yeah. So luckily for Jin, though, 
The devil wasn't going to let Heihachi kill another body he couldn't inhabit. So he uses his power to transform him back into Devil Jin, beats the hell out of Heihachi, <laughs> sprouts some wings, and then flies off. Really didn't anticipate that one, huh? No, he did not. All right. It's like, huh, feels like this happened with my son. <laughs> I need to find a new volcano to throw him in. Should have gone with the volcano strategy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that volcano worked out real well. I'm sure it will. I'm sure that when we talk about Tekken 4, um, we're going to learn that volcano-based deaths are really the end-all be-all. Yeah, I'm sure. So let's talk about Tekken 4, a game where Kazuya comes back (laughs) and is somehow not singed to death by a volcano. So taking place two years after the last game, Tekken 4 opens with us learning two things. One, Paul really thinks he won that last tournament and is very upset that people keep telling him, hey, he didn't. And two... I mean, he did win the tournament. Mm-hmm. Did did beating up the ancient Aztec god of death or hatred or whatever, was that part of the tournament? I guess. <laughs> Unclear. Was was that the was that the final round? I mean, Paul certainly thinks it is. Okay. He's like, I beat the last fighter, I should get the prize money. Yeah, he did win. Um uh, I mean, Heihachi's evil and doesn't care, so... Yeah, so he, he just was like, nah, you ain't getting that money, son. That ain't happening. <laughs> so, yeah, Paul's really peeved off about that, but for Heihachi, he's happy because he's taken multiple samples from Ogre's body. Okay. And now he wants to use it to create the ultimate life form. But he needs DNA from the greatest man who's ever existed in order to be complete. Do you want to know who the greatest man in history is? I mean, if it's not himself is it Kazuya? oh no it's definitely himself okay okay i was gonna be like i feel like he would assume that's himself you would be correct yeah no he's having his scientists smash together both of their dnas to create something this sounds like a really terrible idea the last time he smashed his dna with something it ended up falling off a cliff and then coming back to kill him 20 years later yeah yeah You'd think he would just stop that, but no. No, no, he can control this one. Uh Uh-huh. However, though, despite all of the Mishima scientists' abilities, they fail to create this life form because they eventually come to the conclusion they need the DNA of an individual who contains the devil gene. Ah. Unfortunately, the only known living individual is kind of upset Eihachi. What with the whole shooting his grandson in the head thing he kind of pulled at the last game. Mm Mm-hmm. So Heihachi decides that, okay, what if I just get a sample for my dead and probably incinerated son? And he gets an evidence of this old photograph from 20 years ago that shows Kazuya's charred body and it looks like wings are on him. And he's Uh like, ah, okay, his body still exists. I can just go find his body and get his DNA. Can you? Is that how DNA works? Hey, you know, Heihachi has nothing better to do. (laughs) I guess. It helps that he learns that a company known only as the G Corporation has recovered his body. Now, the G Corporation... Okay, wait. Hang on a second. Okay, first of all, that was like 20 years ago, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Did you say that the photo was from 20 years ago? Yes. Okay, so Heihachi looked at a photo a 20-year-old photo of Kazuya's body in an active volcano. 
mm-hmm. and said, oh, it's probably still there now. <laughs> and yeah, or at least probably, intact. Yeah. And probably still has DNA samples I can pull. Yeah, totally. Also, there's this other corporation that at in some point in those two decades went and grabbed that body. And I just didn't know about it. But I know now. Yep. All right. Yeah, this cutting-edge biotech firm just sort of accidentally ran to his body on an expedition. And they're like, Into oh. a volcano? Yes. <laughs> I don't know, it erupted. Maybe it threw his body, like, down the slope and then went, Ah, charred body. Let's grab it. Sure. Seems okay. like it has devil wings on it. That's weird. And really, at the end of this, it's like, well, Why doesn't he just go and find Jin? Yeah, also... Instead of just like this wild goose chase of, I don't know, maybe I'll find his body. Yeah. So, Heihachi sends the Tekken Force to go get him back. And they learned his body's in Nebraska, of all places. Okay, sure. Yeah, they have, um, the G Corporation has uh, uh, laboratories in Nepal and Nebraska. Because I guess they like countries that start with N. I guess, or states. Well, states in this case. But, uh... Yeah, so they go like, all right, let's go to Nebraska. So they raid the compound on Christmas Day and are immediately wiped out. Oh. Yeah, so Heihachi's overseeing this mission on a submarine wearing a badass tiger-striped trench coat. Okay. And what he discovers shocks him. Kazuya's mm-hmm. back, alive. Why does that shock him? I, you know, because he's like, but my volcano strategy. <laughs> yeah. I upped the ante after throwing you out into that ravine. I figured a volcano would be good enough. Uh, next time he's going to like just drop him like, like from space and be like, that'll be good enough, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so Kazuya is back, and he's vowed to take back the Mishima Zaibatsu by, white, by whatever means necessary. So it turns out during the events of Tekken 3, Kazuya was successfully revived and willingly was experimented on by the G Corporation. Okay. Because the G Corporation also wants to create the ultimate life form. Now, the G Corporation, though, decides that Kazuya knows a little bit too much, and he decided to betray him and kill him. So How? How are they going to do that? Well, they didn't figure that part out, because Kazuya just kills all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so he puts himself in charge of the corporation, and immediately rebuilds it into essentially a copy of the Mishima Zaibatsu. Okay, sure. Yeah, like, dabbling in everything from genetics to, like, weapons manufacture. So... Hihachi witnesses all this, and he decides he needs to lure him out so he can kill him and steal his body. Would you like to guess how he does this? With a King of the Iron Fist tournament? He holds a new King of the Iron Fist tournament. And so Kazuya's like, this is clearly a trap. Yeah, I bet he is. But he willingly enters it because he can't pass up the chance to kill his dad. Like, Kazuya's like, number one goal, always be killing dad. Any Why doesn't he just go do that? He's the devil. Well, you know, he also wants to prove he's a good fighter. He wants to get a warm-up. He's the devil. Everyone knows he's a good fighter. <laughs> yeah, but where's the fun in that? I mean, he has a little bit of Heihachi in him. Yeah, I guess so. He gotta be a little extra. So, so what about Jin? What's Jin doing this entire time? Yeah, what is Jin doing this entire time? Well, Jin, first off, has bought a rad hoodie. All right. And he's basically been brooding over the fact that his entire family is evil, and his grandpa shot him in the head. And he's kind of not cool with that. That's fair. That's, you know. Yeah. Yeah, good reason to be depressed. Kind of of slows you in your tracks. 
Canada. So he's been hiding out in Brisbane, Australia. And he's been okay. learning traditional karate because he got trained in like the Mishima style of fighting. Right. And he's like, no, I'm throwing all that away. I'm throwing away all the Mishima in me. Okay. So he learns traditional karate in order to fulfill his goal of ending the Mishima bloodline for good. Okay. So upon hearing that the tournament was going to be held, he jumped to the chance to enter. So there's a bunch of other people who entered this, such as uh, Steve Fox, who's a boxer that is Nina's son. Like, Nina at some point had one of her eggs taken from her, and then, like, he was created from it by the Mishima Corporation. Sure, because she's so amazing, I guess. Yeah, she's an amazing spy. Although, like, it seems like Heihachi sort of forgot about that. Yeah. Because, like, he meets up with him and is like, oh, we did that? Huh. Anyways. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, and of course, you know, Paul enters to, like, win this competition, you know, for, I think Forrest enters this one as well, like, a bunch, bunch of other people enter. And, um, but point being is that Jin and Kazuya fight their way to the finals, and they're scheduled okay. to face each other. However, on his way to the match, Jin is taken prisoner by the Tekken Force. And Kazuya has just declared the winner, and he's like, huh, weird. All right, well, I'm just going to go face Heihachi, I guess. So he faces Heihachi and loses. Like, Heihachi just wipes the floor with him. Huh. Okay. Yeah. And Heihachi takes him willing, like, sort of willingly, too. Like, he goes of his own reconnaissance after this uh, mm-hmm. to a Japanese temple located deep within the Mishima compound called Hanmaru. Now, Hanmaru is nestled on a mountaintop, which makes me wonder how big the Mishima complex is. <laughs> and this is considered a place of worship for the Mishima clan. So naturally, it should serve as the location for the final battle between Kazuya and Heihachi. Wait, didn't they just have a final battle? Yeah, but they're going to have another final battle. Oh. Because upon entering, Kazuya finally meets his son Jin for the first time. Because Jin is chained up like in the center of the temple. Right. And Kazuya is like, wait, whoa. He's like taken aback. He's like, wait, I have a son? <laughs> and seeing a sight of him, though, he's overtaken by the devil. Now, you probably think it's because, oh, he wants to rescue his son. He feels like some sort of, like, fatherly bond with him. Uh-huh. Uh, no. No, not, yeah, not at no. all. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't assume so. Oh. Well, that's good. Because <laughs> he definitely doesn't. He, he gives... He does not give two shits about Jin. But the devil inside of him very much cares about him. Because you're probably wondering, like, wait, isn't the devil inside of Jin? How can the devil be inside of Jin and Kazuya at the same time? It's the devil. Yeah, and it turns out there could be multiple copies of the devil. Yeah, that, that sort of makes sense. So the devil speaks through Kazuya, and he re- and like, Heihachi immediately realizes it's somebody else speaking, and he's like, who are you? Mm-hmm. He's like, you refer to me as the devil. Wait, what does he mean, who are you? Well, he doesn't know, like, exactly what the devil gene is, from my understanding. He doesn't? Well, he knows that he could transform to something that looks like the devil, but... He doesn't realize that when that happens, the devil literally overtakes that person. That was like the whole point of everything. Well, it's been like 30 years this has been going on. There's going to be a retcon later where (laughs) Heihachi's going to know about this all along. But for his purposes, he thinks literally the devil gene is just a gene that just transforms you into a devil. Not that the, the spirit of the literal devil is inside of you. This has been going on for 30 years. (laughs) Listen, Heihachi's not a questions man. He's an answers man. Oh 
my god. He's just she's just been like, huh, grew wings again. That's weird. Well, time to fight. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, you can shoot lasers. You can grow mm. a third eye and shoot lasers from it. Sure, okay. That's cool. I should stick that into an android or something. Definitely anyway. should. <laughs> so the devil tells him all this, and he's like, hey, thanks for breaking me to this body. I didn't have to search out for it. Now I can reabsorb my other half. Because Jin has the other half of him. And so Heiachi's like, what? And then he gets like telekinesis picked up and just thrown out of the room. Oh, wait. Wait, he threw Jin out of the room? Oh, he threw Heihachi out of the room. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Um, Okay, so when the devil gene passes, the devil splits? So it's unclear, because like initially what happens in Tekken 2 is that Kazuya dies, and mm-hmm. the devil needs to find a new body, so he goes right. and tries to seek out Jin. Right. And then 15 years of being warded off by Jun prevents him from doing so until he's able to. Right. Okay, but then Kazuya got revived. And I guess half of them split off and flew back into Kazuya. Right. Okay. It's it's a little odd and unclear. They don't really explain this twist at all. But the point is that the devil devil Kazuya wants to draw that out of Jin's half. Right. But he's unable to, due to the fact that Jun's blood lives inside of him. And Jun herself, her spirit, is blocking the devil from coming out. And Boy, that seemed like a really terrible possession then. That was an awful choice. Yeah, and you know, when there's only one other person who has a devil gene, I guess, you know, beggars can't be choosers. I guess? <laughs> but yes, it also is a really bad choice because when he just tried to like absorb that back out of him, like he absorbs a little bit of Jun, and that causes terrible pain within him. Oh. And actually causes him to revert back into Kazuya. So Kazuya's like, well, whatever. I'll just destroy Jin's body, and then we'll be able to take back the half. There we go. Problem solved. Oh, Kazuya really wants the devil. Oh, yeah, he's 100%. He's 100% down with the devil. Right, okay, got it. Like, I knew he was, like, fine having the devil. I didn't realize he was like, there's more devil to be had. I want it all. Oh, yeah, no, he, he wants it all. Okay, got it. So he's like, Jin then tells Kazuya that once he kills him, it'll be all over, and he fights Kazuya. And he beats him. Okay. Yeah, so by this point, Heihachi's recovered, and he walks back in the room, and he's like, he sees, like, Kazuya's limp body, and he, he's like, man, he was just a coward. And he decides to try to kill Jin and take sure. his devil gene, because he's like, well, I'll just take yours, too. That'd be great. Wait, you have Kazuya's intact body now. Uh, to be fair, I think he kind of realizes that Jin's going to be coming after him now. Oh, yeah, that's true. And regardless, this goes horribly for him, because Jin just transforms into his devil form and easily defeats him. Right, yeah. And he's about to kill Heihachi, but then a bright, blinding light overwhelms him, calming his soul. He then Dude. tells Heihachi to thank my mother, Jun Kazama, before flying off, sparing Why his is life. Jun stopping him from killing Heihachi? Because, you know, Jun's a Disney princess, and she's like, don't murder people, my son. No, fuck him! <laughs> fuck all of those people! What... Okay, I can understand her being like, don't kill Kazuya, although apparently she didn't stop him from doing that. But, like, <laughs> wasn't she trying to kill Heihachi? Well, she wasn't trying to kill Heihachi. She just wanted to enter the tournament to stop Kazuya. And Kazuya's still oh, alive right, right now. Oh, that's right. Kazuya was in charge at that time. Yeah. Yeah, okay. totally. And, and Kazuya's alive, too, right now. Okay, right. That's right. Yeah. He's just unconscious. Yeah. No, and but then- did, did, did Heihachi gotta go. 
<laughs> He's got to go. <laughs> well, we're not going to talk completely about Tekken 5, but the te opening of Tekken 5 does start with Jin flying off, Kazuya waking up to see Heihachi standing over him, and then all of a sudden a bunch of jacks just land through the ceiling. <laughs> and then they all fight and are like fighting alongside each other. But then like Kazuya gets away, one of the jacks shows up and explodes, oh, killing right. Heihachi. And the words right. that's hey, go ahead. Go no, go ahead, please. And the words Heihachi Mishima is dead flash on screen. I I remember seeing that intro and being like, no, he's not. No, he's In not. Don't lie. <laughs> Indeed. The next <laughs> And next week, when we go over Tekken's 5 through 7, we're going to learn how Heihachi is very much alive. <laughs> He's so alive. As we learn about the events of Tekken 5, learn how sometimes it's good to start a war in Tekken 6, and then wonder why the hell Akuma's showing up here in Tekken 7. Ah, uh, yes. But that's going to be... The answer is don't worry about it. The answer is going to be don't worry about it. But yeah, Alex, how are you feeling? I feel good. I love this stupid shit. Oh, it's so good. And isn't it amazing that despite how wacky and kind of out of left field half of this stuff that's happening in Tekken 7, or not Tekken 7, but in the Tekken series, mm. it's so much more comprehensible than Street Fighter. It really is. I mean, this, this series is like, what if the main story was about Bison and Akuma really hating each other? Mm-hmm. And then, like, eventually, I don't know, Nero from Devil May Cry shows up and is like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. They make the smart move of, like, just, yeah, like, leaving it to, like, three characters, essentially. Yeah. And, like, it'll expand out a little bit more from there, but they keep it pretty laser-focused on the struggles of the Mishima dynasty to overthrow each other and also adopt Chinese orphans. Yeah. And yeah, it, it ends up making it, despite the fact it involves the literal devil, volcanoes exploding, and all this other stupid nonsense. Like, all the other characters, like, their endings are essentially jokes, because they know they're not canon. Right. So they go like, oh, here's this joke ending where Heihachi has to convince Kuba to sign over his entire, the entire company back to him, and stuff like right. that. Because, yeah, like you said, who cares? In reality, they lost, so... Mm. Yeah, so let's just have fun with it. Yeah, so I I love this stupid series. And yeah, but I, I also really like that pretty clearly, like, they're like, ah, uh, it's the turmoil and the machinations of the Mishima Zaibatsu mm. and, like, all of the evil, nefarious stuff they're trying to do. And clearly, like, at the end, it's just like, two dudes who are fundamentally kind of assholes mm -hmm. and really just want to have a fighting tournament. They just want to prove they're better than each other. Because they really just want to punch someone really hard. Exactly. They really don't care about anything else. Like, they talk about, like, oh, we want to take over the world, but it's like, no, not Hachi really. He take over the world. He just wants to throw another Tekken tournament. Yeah, exactly. He wants to do that. He wants to just spite his son in increasingly bizarre ways yeah and kazuya just wants to prove that oh no no i can run this company better like jin's the one person off to the side being like you you people are just bad for the world yeah it's like you you guys should go and they're like shut up jen we're gonna have a fighting tournament 
Exactly. Exactly. Ugh. And we know who's going to win is the thing. Is yeah. it like, I'm going to have a fighting tournament because my son slash dad is going to win it and then I can fight him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then they'll take over the company and it will be back next time when inevitably they hold the same tournament and we're going to win it back. Yep. <laughs> This is just how they bond. This is just how they bond. Yeah, kind of. This is sort of their relationship therapy. Sometimes dads and sons bond over baseball. Sometimes they bond over throwing people to volcanoes and building up evil corporations. Like, that's just what they do. Ah. Yeah, so, so good. So good. Oh, that's great. Uh, So, yeah. Next time we're going to be talking about all of that and uh, getting also into the development as well of Tekken mm. 7. Boy, there's going to be some things involving our little mess of a company called Capcom that are going to really influence what's going on yeah. there. But once again, that'll be for next time. Alex, do you have any parting thoughts for us? Um, How about this? What's your favorite, what's your favorite Tekken character? That's not Heihachi. See, I haven't honestly played it enough to have a favorite. I'm I'm probably just going to say either Kuma or King, who I know we didn't talk about much. Oh, poor King. Yeah, King is a is a luchador that wears a jaguar mask. Yeah. And he's really great. He's actually the possessor of maybe the strongest fighting game move. That yeah. It's also the most ridiculous looking, but it does like three-fourths worth of health to your opponent. Yeah. Oh, also, uh, we barely touched on him as well, but also Yoshimitsu, mm-hmm. primarily because he's always weird, yeah, but he's, always in a different way. He's always weird. He's o- yeah, always in a different way. And also the one Tekken character that consistently shows up in another fighting game series. Yeah. Soul Calibur. Yep. And like, sometimes he's just a robot. Yeah. Sometimes and he's just a some, robot. Sometimes he's just an alien. And then he pogo jumps on his katana, and you're like, what is happening? But in the end, he always fights for justice. It's true. Yep. Yoshimitsu, the one good guy in all of Tekken. I guess alongside Jin. Oh, yeah. Pretty much them. And you know what? Roger didn't do anything wrong. Roger seems fine. Yeah, he hasn't murdered anybody as far as I know. Yeah. See y'all next week as we talk about Tekken 5 through 7. Take care, everybody. Take care.